fellow citizens. Let's, let's be let's be, be bluntly honest. Who's the heavyweight champion of the world? In my opinion, still and perhaps always will be the greatest. There's so much there. Okay, yeah. What are we doing, great champion? You help unite our nation. The cry for freedom as only sport can do. Pay attention to the voices that are doing the framing. What we're talking about is the consumerism withheld and allotted only. Nobody's nobody's calling. Nobody nobody nobody's calling LeBron Black Jesus. Come back to sports and society. We're here on May 9th. How you doing, Kyle? I am doing pretty well. I had just mentioned off air that I've been listening to uh, happiness podcasts <laughs> and one in which was the happiness lab and it just popped in my mind that their most recent episode was about griping hmm. and how there is a way in which griping can actually be a source of happiness. Uh, it, they were kind of talking about it in terms of like commiserating to some extent, like talking about things that are hard. So that made me think that our topic today of talking about rules that we would change in sports might be a healthy form of griping if we do it right. <laughs> well, it's uh, I, I agree because this is in some ways, um, you know, my least favorite conversations are with people that complain with no solutions. So at least we're right. coming with the solutions here of what we think we should be done. Yeah, there you go. I like that. Yeah. So, how about you? How are things? They're going pretty well. I mean, uh, it's a Saturday morning, which is a day early for us. So, uh, happy to kind of get this out so we can celebrate Mother's Day here. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, have to say, um, I am not missing sports, which is really surprising to me. Interesting. I was going to say the opposite. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I even more poignant I feel is today I think was the first time I felt the missing them really mm-hmm. truly uh, as in I really wished that I could have gotten up and watched a little bit of soccer this morning hmm. I would have really enjoyed that but but you're not missing them at all no I I think there's something revealing perhaps that. Um, you know, I will watch them for sure when they come back. But there, I think mm-hmm. there's something that I have, I know, but I don't admit to myself, which is that inherently I find them stressful to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just the, how much time they take up. And so, right. you know, my week has just felt lighter in some ways because I'm not on ESPN all the time. Right. I can totally see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I, I – soccer and golf and then regular season NBA are the three that are coming to mind for me. And I think partly because those three I can just have in the background mm-hmm. and I can still be living my life uh, or using them for a form of relaxation, whereas tuning into like – uh, NBA playoff series. I, I watch in a different way that's probably mm-hmm. a little unhealthy. <laughs> um, but yeah, just some regular season sports in the background. I kind of miss that. Well, I think what's happened for me is that, um, you know, that time that I would be watching sports, I'm now watching crappy sitcoms. Um, <laughs> yeah. which, I mean, they're not really, I mean, I've been, I rewatched Parks and Rec. We watch mm-hmm. a lot of The Office, um, watching a lot of The League at the moment, which is a horrible show, but also never ceases to make me laugh. Um, That's a perfect summary of that show. <laughs> um, but all of that, it, on some level, requires nothing of me and feels at the end like I come out of it feeling lighter because I didn't I didn't invest any energy in it. Um, right. So. Yeah. I feel you. Well, somewhat in as a segue is I, I think one thing I've been paying attention to in the sports world is, and this is connected with kind of missing golf, I think, and just having something to watch in the background. But uh, I assume you've heard that um, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady are going to mm-hmm. play a match here in the next couple of weeks. I can't. It's so stupid. <laughs> Uh, it, there's so much better versions of enjoyable golf that could happen right now. That is like one of the like last things that I want to watch. And yet it's right in cable television and ESPN's wheelhouse 
but yeah, it it almost bums me out because there's just so there's first off like while Tiger and Phil are both still great golfers, there's a lot more interesting, exciting golf happening with other players right now, uh, and so just the quality of of the action, and then just to have those four bros hanging out is just not interesting. <laughs> no, I. You know, th- there's so many players that are dying for a little bit of exposure that you could have given that opportunity to, and it would have been way more entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think about like if you had Spieth, uh, 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 Patrick Reed, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, and some other asshole on there, like um, it would none of them would have been like characters captivating us the way those four guys do, but they would have been at each other like the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. You could like get the strongest personalities on tour together for a round. That could be fun. Yeah, that's interesting because I think in my missing golf this week, I was kind of just paying a little bit of attention for the first time to mm. see what these guys have been up to. And so looking at their social media and stuff, and a couple of things were really interesting to me. One is... Um, the technology in golf that makes it possible mm. uh, for these guys to be as good as they are now and how that technology is being utilized right now and kind of having a moment in the sense that I think – I honestly think there is a version of virtual golf out there that I would watch. Mm-hmm. I think if you had 10 players all on their simulators playing the same course and competing with each other – uh, or even not playing courses, but just um, so like TrackMan, which is the number one uh, seller right now for measuring all the statistics for just a single golf shot. But they have uh, like right when you get TrackMan, the first thing you do is you do this like um, you hit 60 shots and it's like 10 shots to six locations, different mm-hmm. distance. And it gauges essentially how good you are and like what you need to work on. Uh, and right now, Patrick Reed has the best statistics on TrackMan that TrackMan has ever seen hmm. because he's just been honing on on doing that skills test over and over. And it, it's it's really <laughs> incredible how good he is. Uh, and it kind of explains of why he's been in the top 10 in the last, you know, five, six years. Um, but that's what I would watch. I would watch really good golfers try and hit a spot on a simulator. I think I would find that really compelling. Well, I think that there's some ways to make that um, compelling in the real world as well. So I think about um, the European tour has done this video series where they take some of their players and they have 500 shots to get a hole in one. Have you seen these? I have. Yeah. And they're incredibly compelling. And I'm like, you could totally have set that stuff up at this point. Find, send these guys out to a closed down course um, mm-hmm. and have them videotape themselves shooting 500 mm-hmm. shots. Um, I think there are ways to do it. You know, I'm thinking I like the gimmicky stuff on some level at this point, because I think it, you're never going to get to what the real game is at this point. So like use this as an opportunity to do funky things. So, like I'm like, you know, um, have two guys go out and instead of having it be, like this super broy stuff. Like I would right. love to see, um, well, just because they play so damn slow, I would love to see DeChambeau and Spieth play around a speed golf. Um, like yeah. they have to play the yeah. whole thing in under an hour. Uh, that would right. be great television to watch on yeah. some level. Um, well, kind of another niche thing here that I found interesting is speaking of Bryson De- DeChambeau, he's interesting for a lot of reasons and worth talking about, I feel like, but, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but he's uh, gaining weight on purpose, mm-hmm. like lifting weights. Uh, and so since like the beginning of last season, he's gained something like 35 pounds in muscle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Apparently he lifts uh, for three hours every day. Um, and he also has been working with um, his coach and some other uh, guys that specialize in long drive competitions uh and essentially what he has taught himself is a long drive swing um and he is currently using uh the longest driver that the pga allows you to use which most pros do not because you sacrifice a lot of control in that 
but what he wants to have in an, in his arsenal is that when it's possible and there's not too much risk to essentially hit long drives, hmm. um, which that is to say, um, like in the numbers, like most pros are swinging around 170 miles an hour. Maybe like the uh, Brooks Kepkas are like 180. Uh, but apparently Bryson now has a 203 mile an hour swing that he can put into play. Um which is so he's he's getting like a 330 carry, and like the PJ Tour is like 285. Hmm. So that I mean that's and and that's like all in his identity and mantra of like doing whatever I can to have all the tools possible to beat the game as opposed to the opponent, um, which is just interesting. Yeah, I mean, well, he goes he goes about it in a kind of annoying fashion, but. <laughs> But it is, that's interesting. I, you know, I think about, we've talked about potentially on here in terms of Tiger was never the most accurate driver. Um, right. And so the, you know, I'm sure Bryson in his mind is thinking like, you know, if you get it far enough that in some ways like accuracy and fairway stuff, he's probably thinking that that's less important. Um, yeah, so, that's what he literally has all the math of like yeah. the types of holes where like he has mathematically figured out the risks of like where his ball could go and so he like on the tour schedule he goes through each hole and like decides what kind of drive works best on each hole based on the math so here's the question for you that this raises for me why is it that you and i who love um rebellion and people sticking it to the man Mm-hmm. Why is it that w- the people that do this the most in sports, and I'm thinking particularly here of Bryson and the Houston Rockets, but I'm sure there are other examples. Um, why do we? Why are those people so uninteresting <laughs> and so annoying on some level? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's not only not interesting, but it, it's like repulsive, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is maybe a strong word, but I, I don't mean that as in like, I think they're bad people, but it repels me. It makes me not want to watch. That's a great question that we probably need to unpack. <laughs> right? I, I think there's a complicated in- answer yeah. in there that's going to involve a lot of um, self-reflecting uh, and maybe kind of digging into some things that maybe I'm not proud to admit. Yeah. Yeah, but let's 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 lay that aside and come okay. back to that. I okay. love that. Yeah. But what well, about you? Yeah, so not so much other than just not missing it so much. It's been interesting to see how everybody's planning on coming back. Um I'm super frustrated with the way the United States is handling this right now. Um but what else can I do? Uh, so I hope that the sports leagues um uh, continue not to do stupid things, although we see the MMA doing stupid things right now. Um, I don't know if you saw this morning that one of their fighters that was scheduled to fight is tested positive. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just a total crapshoot right now. Mm-hmm. Are you still loving the Jordan documentary? I, I am. Um, I have to say that there's so many interesting things to, you know, I, there's a great ESPN segment, um, uh, which reminds me, I want to ask you about that ESPN thing I shared with you yesterday. Um, uh, but there's a great ESPN thing where they're doing the jump, of course, remote now. But um, they asked Tracy McGrady and Kendrick Perkins if Jordan was the best trash talker of all time. Um, and I love what Tracy McGrady said. I think it was Tracy said that, um, yes, because he gave it to everybody. You know, mm-hmm. there are great other great trash talkers, but they usually focus on in on who they're going to do. Jordan just went after anybody and everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jerry Krause got it. The media got it. His teammates got it. His opponents got it. He just he didn't hold back on anybody. Right. Yeah, and some of those scenes where he's like, gambling with the stadium workers. Yeah. <laughs> right, and and even talking trash to them. Well, yeah. and the, like to hear him, just the shade he th- casually throws around now. I mean, like to hear him call out 
Horace Grant, um, yeah. you know, this guy that he won championships with. And he's like, oh, yeah, Horace was mad. So he ratted us out, essentially. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's a huge accusation. You're just going to throw it out there like that? All right. It had me wondering, uh, this actual piece, if he would be a good uh, announcer, if he were to ever get into hmm. broadcasting as opposed to ownership. Well, I mean, he wouldn't. He'd just say whatever comes to his mind. You right, know? right. I mean, it's uh, it's the Jeff Van Gundy thing in some ways. That's what makes him enjoyable to listen to. Um, right. Because Jeff will, half the time you don't want to hear it, but the other half it's like, damn, okay, all right. Right. Yeah, it was that piece that stuck out to me too this week of Charles Barkley talking about how Jordan won't talk to him mm -hmm. uh, because of something he said like, like 10 years ago about how Jordan was managing the Bobcats. Um, but it, it bummed me out. I was like, those two guys should have more of a like collective media presence. Mm -hmm. Like the basketball world would benefit from that. And so that's a part of like Jordan taking everything so seriously and everything being so cutthroat that probably is what made him great but also which mm -hmm. uh is something i would find a little bit lamentable that it could be more fun than all of this yeah and i think that that's that's the biggest takeaway i think from this whole thing is just that jordan was a different kind of guy and is a mm -hmm. different kind of guy and that hasn't really changed since he left the league um right i think that i don't know that we'll ever see somebody else with that kind of single-minded focus right. um and it is just so consistent. I mean, you hear him even now, like, you know, that shot he made over Craig Elo, like, you know, part, you can't help but think that part of that was because he was like, you going to put Craig Elo on me right now? Um, <laughs> and like to hear, you know, that uh, he's like, oh, Jerry Krause likes Dan Marley. Well, all right, Dan, you're going to get it now. Right, um, right, right. Like that's all it took was that little bit of a slight. Um, so it, it's fascinating to think about how that works. And I, I think that goes on um, to the other thing that I found so fascinating was the Tony Kukoc mm -hmm. thing. Um, and to hear Tony talking about the first time they played and he really had no idea what to expect. And then I can't imagine like walking out on the court and these guys that you, you think might be your future teammates just like totally and spend the whole game not caring about winning. They just want to shut you down personally. Right. Uh, like I can't imagine how he felt after that game. Yeah. I felt so bad for him. He did nothing to deserve no. that except be a great player that wanted to come play in the NBA. Yeah, and he just got caught and up in that storm that Jordan could create around anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved Tony, Tony Kukoc as a player. I loved watching him play. I thought he was uh, a true competitor and a great teammate. I loved him. Well, I think it also shows for me that relationship between Jordan and Pippen Mm -hmm. The part of the reason that Jordan was pissed off at Kukoc was because Pippen wasn't getting his money, right? Um, and so, like that, that, uh, that level of entertainment uh, is really interesting. Also, to think about, so I mean, that was what that was ninety two that that dream team happened, mm -hmm. and so the final season here when the like when Pippen sat out for this time ninety eight. So that's six years that this had been festering at least. Right. Right. Like, I can't imagine winning those championships with that kind of festering yep. opinion. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And how unapologetic both of them are even today yeah. about it. <laughs> no, they're like yeah. We we yeah. did what we had to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did love the footage of the dream team stuff. Um, yeah, I had never seen that before. No, apparently that's, I was reading something about it, that's kind of the holy grail, and that there's this one, there's apparently footage out there somewhere of the Dream Team playing college stars um, mm. that is kind of considered the game that everybody wants to see, but no one, uh, no one's letting it out of their grasp. Interesting. Yeah, seeing those guys go at each other and in practice in some crummy gym in Europe, like, that was wonderful. I yeah. loved that. With no fans. It also no, made yeah. me think about how much fun it could be to watch these guys play without fans. You know, I, I did hear recently, so the NBA is now thinking about they would do it either in Orlando or um, Las Vegas or Phoenix full-time. Mm -hmm. So they wouldn't go stadium to stadium. Um, right. And it did make me think about, yeah, if you did this in a small gym, like it would be so much fun to watch. Yeah. And um, be able to hear them. Yeah. 
That would be amazing. When it was, um, uh, there's so much to that competitiveness piece, and to hear how much they all enjoyed it at the same mm-hmm. time that they were taking it out of each other was really interesting. Like this is clearly these were kindred spirits in a way, um, right? Like to hear Magic and Jordan like on the court really go at each other, mm-hmm. and then um, not uh, afterwards. They just love loving on each other on some level. Right. Right. Which I think a really interesting tidbit was that um at that point, um Magic Johnson had been diagnosed and had retired and then come back, but not really come back. And so this I don't remember this whole thing with Magic from back then. Like he didn't play but he was voted into the All Star game. Do you remember right. this? I do, yeah. Uh and then he played on this dream team after not playing really at all in the NBA that previous season. And so it's just interesting, like these other stars, you know, while he was being potentially being shunned and looked down on by the general public, the rest of the NBA, uh, in terms of these stars seem to have no problem with uh him being involved in this stuff. Yeah, that's interesting because that's exactly how I remember it. And I I think what is interesting is that like how I received it as a nine or 10 year old uh, was how it was coming across, you know, that Mm -hmm. like even I was able to pick up on that. And I think about that all-star game uh, and those memories of that game are extremely vivid Hmm. in in my memory. Um, It it was a really seminal moment, I think. And um yeah, what what he represents in basketball, I, I think um, we're still making sense of. I would argue that's like how significant I think that was. Um, well, I think I think there's a major argument to be made that uh, as much as Jordan defines how we understand players mm-hmm. in the modern NBA, I think you could argue that Magic Johnson is the the main architect of the way we play basketball nowadays. Yeah, yeah. As in, like he would still fit in today's game mm-hmm, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, you know, driving. Yeah. Uh, the the passing vision stuff that mm-hmm. is so valuable nowadays. Um, yeah. 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 It it really paints the. I wish I could have been around and known what was going on for those Bird Johnson uh, uh, battles back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's fun to watch. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you want to talk about some rule changes? Let's do it. All right. So this this week, uh, we set ourselves an ambitious task of what five rule changes or implementations would we like to see in the world of sports? So, um, Kyle, since you've got, apparently got six, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to kick it off first. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the first rule that I would change is would be a reversal of a new rule that was just implemented in golf in 2019, and that is the flagstick staying in the hole. Mm. So the U.S. Golf Association and the most obnoxiously named rules organization in the world, the Royal and Ancient, uh, decreed that uh, the flagstick can stay in the hole. And their reasoning is good reasoning. It, it is meant to speed up play. And the idea is that if they put a rule forth, then everyone has to follow it. And so the pros can leave the flagstick in. And once they passed the rule, it was interesting to see these kind of studies come out. Also, interestingly, pushed by Bryson DeChambeau, that uh, it's statistically better to have the flag in. You're more likely uh, to make more shots on the whole. Um, however, there's no reason for professionals to keep the flag in because they have caddies. And so it's really an, a rule for amateurs. And I don't think pros need that statistic advantage. And I think it looks weird. <laughs> um, and that's just an aesthetic thing based on how I've always seen the game. Hmm. So it's meaningless that I think it looks weird. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I I don't know why, I, and I don't have a great reason other than just that's how I think what I'm used to seeing, and I don't think pros need an advantage. Uh, but I do think it's good for amateurs. Hmm. So I, I support it for amateurs, but um, I would change that rule. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, you know, I spent a long time, not a long time, 
compared to what I spent on the others ones on this list a long time trying to find a rule that I would change for golf and I couldn't find one. Um, yeah. And partly that's because the rules are so petty on some level it feels mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Um you know I'm like well I don't I don't care whether they can ground their club or not in the bunker or right. these other things. And you know the one rules that I would come up with would be speed of play but on some level like I don't watch golf to watch them move quickly. Um, and the way mm-hmm. that television works, you usually have somebody else that they can cut to if it's taking a really long time. True. Uh, and so like from my enjoyment of the professional game, I don't think I, uh, there wasn't something I could stumble upon that was going to, I needed to have changed. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. Um, and so many of the rules are just kind of innocuous really. <laughs> uh, and rarely, rarely, rarely come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's a sport that needs a massive rule book. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of staggering. Yeah. What's your first one? All right, so this is one I have mentioned on here before, and I stick with it because I still think this is perhaps the best sports idea I've ever had in my career, um, <laughs> uh, which is that I think uh, in baseball you should make a throw to pick off the runner uh, count as a ball and the pitch count. Mm. Uh, I think this makes for more exciting uh, stuff in terms of stealing bases uh, and also speeds up play. Uh, and so I am uh, I am all in favor of both of those things, kind of changing the calculus a little bit. Yeah, I love that because there is essentially zero penalty for it unless you make a bad throw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet it is something that uh, does gain you an advantage. So it's a very, very low risk, advantageous thing to do. Uh, but it's also boring as hell. Yeah, no one no one enjoys <laughs> that pickoff move, yeah. I would like to see the statistics on successful pickoff moves. Oh, that, that's got to be awful. Yeah, I'm sure it's really, really low. I, I would guess below 5%. Well, yeah, and I think most of the time it's not even about you're not even trying to pick them mm-hmm. off. It's more of an right. intimidation head game thing than right. anything else. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. So, um, Major League Baseball, I'm here if you want to figure out how to implement this. You know, I'm a huge fan. So, <laughs> I like it. All right. What else have you got? So my second one. It's not as much a rule as it is a policy, so I don't know if this counts, but I'm going for it. Um, But I think the U.S. women's national team not only needs to get paid equally to the men's team uh, in soccer, but more. And here's my idea for making that happen. One is present the uh, if-then statement. So, like, if players are based on their popularity and their potential for generating sources of income, then you should get paid more. And so we'll get them to agree to that and then say, okay, now I'm going to go do like a bunch of Gallup polls. And I think the polls should ask things like list significant U.S. women's games Mm -hmm. in the last 15 years and list uh, significant men's games and see what the general public does. Uh, Ask them to list players on the team uh, or recognize them by their photos. Uh, And I I guarantee I think more would recognize women. Hmm. And then I think even more poignantly, I think you could do it to like ages 6 to 15 of young kids in America and how they view each of the national teams um, and use that as a another tool in the arsenal so that the Hmm. women can get paid like they should be getting paid. But I think there is an argument for even like beyond parity. I think the women should get more and I think there's a massive argument to pay them more. Hmm. I would probably be in favor for that. Yeah. If only because a lot of all these men's players are making significant money somewhere else. Whereas these women, that U S women's team is the primary source of income for them. Exactly. Yeah. What about you? Okay. All right. Next up for me, uh, this is kind of a two-part thing, but it's about free throws in basketball. Um, Mm -hmm. First, that there are no three-shot fouls. Um, Even Mm -hmm. if you get fouled while shooting a three-point, it's still just two free throws. Um, And the free throws have to be taken within three seconds of getting the ball. 
from the official. Ooh, I like that. Um, so none of this, yeah, none of these dribbling stuff. I might even say within three seconds and no dribbling of the ball. Um, so. That makes me think you could even add, like, you've got to be on the lane within four seconds or something mm-hmm. like that. Just speed the whole thing up because that is the m- most obnoxious part about watching an NBA game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And I just want to – I'm so tired of James Harden 3.5. Yep. Yes. Yes. Um. <laughs> this is I, – I thought you were going to say this is going to be called the James Harden rule. It, yes. I mean, it, before it was Dirk Nowitzki and now it's James Harden. So Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I will I like come it. to appreciate Harden as I have Nowitzki, but uh, I'm doubtful. Yeah, God, I love Dirk. Yeah, I used to get so mad because every time he'd go in the lane, his arms would go flying. Yeah, and you're like, and they'd call a foul, and like, we have no idea what happened. His arms go yeah. flying no matter what ever happens. So, but and the the whole event was so unsightly. Yeah, there was nothing pretty about it. No. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, my third one is I think we should get rid of helmets in football. Okay. Yeah, and I think it's what uh, could bring um, – who cares what I think, but it could bring me back to football. But really what that is to say is that I think it could usher in a more civil version of the game and influence a generation of youth in America that pay attention to football that it doesn't have to be the way it is. Hmm. And I, what I find not surprising in any way, but maybe frustratingly true, is that uh, helmets don't do anything for concussions, and we know this unequivocally. Like everyone, every scientific study on it, uh, what we know is the harm is the subconcussive hits, hmm. which are just the over and over hits. Um, particularly for linemen and those that have to carry the ball a lot. And so in that way, it's like, okay, there's also all this scientific research that says that uh, were we to get rid of helmets, uh, that which causes subconcussive hits would uh, leave the game itself. And I think what would remain are the coolest parts of football, which are like the strategic Mm -hmm. parts, the uh, feats of great athleticism um, that are the most fun thing to watch. And so I think the game is already going that way. It's a it's a much more skills based game than it used to be. So let's just go ahead and get rid of helmets and get this all over with. Hmm. That's fascinating because I think that uh, I think you're right in all of that, and I think that there's an additional component though um, that I think is interesting in terms of there's a lot of folks that are football fans that um, um, how can I put this politically correctly. Um, are not the most forward thinking of individuals. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that putting them face to face with the fact that the people that they support every week are people of color um, Mm -hmm. and that they're real people and not just a helmet and a Jersey um, Mm -hmm. would be a positive thing as well. Mm -hmm. Well, so I actually read an article about this as well, that uh, there has been research done that has shown that, um, the face mask has as much to do with um, hard hitting in in football as the helmet. Hmm. And what it does is a, a psychological thing, which is it others the hmm. uh, opponent, such that because you can't see their face, which I would extend the research to say is true for the fans as well. Mm-hmm. That they just see a jersey and you can't see a human mm-hmm. uh, underneath the helmet and the face mask. And so, therefore, it... it it makes them more of an other, and therefore violence enacted on that other is easier to stomach. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. What about you? All right, so I got soccer next here. Um, I want uh, a yellow card immediately shown to every player other than the captain who complains to the ref. Yes. I love it. I don't know why it hasn't been done already. Yes, it would, it's, it's 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 so inexcusable, and there's no reason for it. No, and it would take three games. There'd be three games where there'd be it'd be miserable because our favorite players would get thrown out of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, Ronaldo would be gone from the game. Yeah, um, but they would learn really quickly how to not do that, and the rest of it would be so much more enjoyable after that. Mm-hmm. 
I love that idea. I'm all in for that one. It's, it's close to my next one too, actually. Okay. Um, so mine is um, diving. Mm. Um, and so I think there should be a like a judicial body, you know, an odd number of people that are watching the game um, on television. And so it doesn't have to be immediate, but if a player dives and the majority of that judicial body agrees that it was a dive that was completely unnecessary, that limited the flow of the game, that slowed the game down, that was used for an unfair advantage, uh, that that pay- player just gets a, a like normal process of like yellow, yellow, red. Hmm. Um, and so essentially like amping up the yellow card for diving. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. But I, where I think it like part of the problem with adjudicating on diving is that it's hard to see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so fast. Um, and a lot of it is legitimate. There was a foul and then the diving just is mm-hmm. added on top of it. And so I think you could like do it retroactively. So even at halftime, say like the following four players got yellow cards for diving in the first half. Hmm. Interesting. I might even go further. I I might take it out of the because I I have to confess to not being maybe it's just the way it's been implemented. But the VAR has been so bad, mm-hmm. uh, and particularly in the EPL, um, that I I'd almost be more in favor of a stricter punishment, but it all being afterwards. So like yeah. a red card is given to you after the game, um, right. and you miss the next three games because that's the normal red card penalty. Right. Um, that I, I would be totally on board with that. Yeah. Hmm. It's so terrible. It, it, yeah. it, it, we need to get it out of the game. Well, and I have, I did not include this, but I did think about this. And so I'll share it now. I have a kind of a three B, which I think is kind of connected there, which is, um, the other thing I hate in soccer are professional fouls. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would love, you know, that's a yellow card already. But I would love to see a sin bin brought in just because I love the idea of this where like you have to go off the pitch for 15 minutes if you if you mm-hmm. have a professional foul. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I I love that idea from rugby so mm-hmm. and hockey. Yeah, I would be in for that. But all right. What's well, your next one? My next one. So this is about running and I have to give a shout out to – my buddy Sam Lev on this because uh, this is kind of stealing from him. Uh, but I would love to see running um, implement stage racing um, so that uh, particularly aimed at different disciplines. So one, I would love to see runners do time trials because I think that mm-hmm. that would be fascinating. But B, um, to see uh, a kind of like a decathlon but just running events I think would be really exciting so yeah that's a great idea have the the distance guys sprint alongside some of the faster guys have the Mm -hmm. middle distance do some cross-country stuff in there um Mm -hmm. i think there could be it just could be a lot of fun uh to kind of include these different disciplines and do them in different ways um Mm -hmm. so that just made me think of how potentially fun a track and field exhibition type thing could be mm-hmm. where you maybe even have like teams and I'm thinking of like a, a great uh, sprinter on one team gets to pick who they want to sprint against mm-hmm. on the other team, stuff like that. You could have a lot of fun with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that idea. I'm all in. <laughs> all right, what have you got? Uh, so my fifth one is also in soccer, and I think um, a couple things about penalty kicks. Uh, uh, one is that they're terrible, <laughs> uh, is where this all comes from. So how do we get rid of penalty kicks being terrible? Uh, I definitely don't think we should decide games on penalty kicks. Um, I would argue, uh, and this comes from conversations with friends as well, for playing a small-sided game. Hmm. Uh, and so you pick like your five mm-hmm. and you play five on five on a smaller field. Uh, and you could do the same thing, two 10 minute halves and then a golden goal or something like that. Uh, but some way that you still have the elite nature of overtime, which I think penalty kicks do great with. So you still have the drama, but, um, there's just too much luck in penalty kicks. 
Uh, and then the other part would be to move the spot back. Because hmm. uh, right now I think it's something like 81% of penalties are made. And, of course, this gets to the diving stuff too, but diving in the box. But I've heard of moving the penalty spot back to where it would be like a 50-50 chance that you're going to make it. Uh, and then also the idea of if you're fouled within the six-yard box, then it's a PK, but not inside the 18. Hmm. So something to get rid of the silliness of penalty kicks. Well, yeah, interesting. I um, I don't know how I feel about the six-yard box, but I do like the idea of potentially moving it back. And the big thing that I would probably take away thinking about this that I had not considered before was um, just doing away um, with the handball penalty uh, mm. in the box anyway and you just give a free, free kick from the, the spot of the foul, which could be as powerful, but... Um, wouldn't be a penalty. Right. Yeah, I like that. But I, I think what's uh, so thrilling about a free kick outside the box is that uh, there's so much more skill involved. Mm -hmm. And so to see that skill, it, it would be an uplifting of the skill to move the spot back, mm -hmm. uh, both of the goalie and of the kicker. There is just something about a game uh, – the number of teams that have lost that shouldn't have lost because of penalty kicks, mm -hmm. uh, just not even uh, like after the game to sign them, but in the midst of the game, you know, one bad foul and everything you've done the rest of the game is undone. Right. Uh, it's just, it, it's the ultimate in unfairness in some ways. Yeah, I agree. All right. What's your last one? All right. So this is uh, my last one, which m most people will hate, but probably you and I will be very much on board with, um, is I want to take all youth sports, um, high school and college for this out of the schools and have them run in an independent system that is regulated and not connected to the schools. Man, I love this conversation. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't had this conversation in a long time, but there's so much in here that's worth talking about. Where's your what's your what what leads you there? Oh, well, I mean several layers. A like I started from a from just thinking about college sports because I was trying to figure out what other sports I wanted to tackle. And I was like, man, it would just be so much better if colleges didn't have professional these professional organizations. And like, I was trying to think, do I want it just to be? How do we make the focus back on college for college? Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, well, wait a minute, what about high school stuff? And so, really, it's about making school about school and sports about sports, but also about limiting the importance of sports in the long run. So, mm -hmm. I don't want kids to their one way out to be sports or if it is it's not linked to this weird other academic side of things which is not really connected at all um, right so uh it's it's really for me probably first and foremost about preserving the schooling nature of colleges and high schools right yeah i i've talked about this in the sense of how uh really without teeth are national youth sports mm -hmm. uh, institutions are, um, that they really like pale in power um, as compared to like the institution that is high school football in America. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's really no governing body over it. Uh, it kind of exists in like uh, pulses on its own and that's really problematic. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are ways to do it. I mean, I get, you know, I'm sure there are equity questions about access mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But, you know, I think if you had a strong governing body and you took that energy that's con uh, around the sports in the schools and put it around sports in another venue, I think you get the same. Uh, you, you rectify some of those issues in some ways. Right, um, right. Uh, it's never going to happen, but that's no. my, that's my <laughs> dream. I like it. All right, what's your last one, man? Uh, my last one is also not a rule. <laughs> it's just something I wish for, so that's why I included it as like a sub-six. But um, I would love for more of a wide lens, uh, like camera lens, for watching baseball on television. Hmm. Um, I think one of the biggest deterrents to watching baseball on TV is that you just see the pitcher and the batter and the catcher and the umpire for like 98% of the hmm. game. 
uh, and that gets really dull and boring. That's not why I go to a baseball game, right? It's like I go to a baseball game for the overall experience of even just seeing a player like warm up in the outfield before an inning. Hmm. You know, it's the whole experience of being there that is part of what makes baseball great and what makes baseball so inviting, I feel like, um, as kind of this leisure sport for the fan. And you don't get that watching on television. And so I would love for just like a steady camera uh, somewhere behind home plate. And I'm sure we have the technology now such that the like way the lens is set up, you get a view as if you're kind of there. Hmm. Um, so that that's a, a wish I have. Interesting. How would you feel about like a picture in picture thing? Yeah. So I, I feel like they tried that in the early 2000s for a little bit. Um I feel like MLB experimented with that for a minute. And I, I would imagine that would be better. Uh, I don't remember what it was like. But, yeah, just to be able to see the whole field and the whole stadium the whole time, uh, I would love that. It, it, that question, it's such an interesting question in some ways because every sport in some ways struggles with how best to portray themselves on television, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so basketball, I don't – the number of times I get frustrated – when they go to this shot where they're shooting from one basket towards the other, I'm like, no one, you can't see anybody. No one wants to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's that lens. But then I remember um, you and I raked Fox over the coals for their first time they covered uh, the U.S. Open. Right. Uh, and a lot of the complaints that we and other folks had was that all we saw was putting, it felt like. Right. Um, Right. And yes, that that's perhaps the most important thing, but it doesn't give us. That's not why we watch the game. It's not part of the comprehensive whole. Right. Um, yep. Exactly. So um, interesting. When it it also makes me think um, about NFL Red Zone and mm-hmm. how that has changed. You know, from watching one game intensively to now, how many folks are watching the interesting part, so to speak, of every game? Right. Right. Um, yeah, interesting. Well, we're we are here as consultants. If any sports league would like to make themselves more interesting and appealing, and I'm going to mail these to Obama today okay. with uh, um, an urging to become the sports czar we so desperately need. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I will. Um, I will say I read an interesting comment. So um, you know, in the documentary this week, they talked a little bit about. Uh, in the Jordan documentary, they talked about Jordan's refusal to call out Jesse Helms and his famous Republicans buy sneakers too. Mm-hmm. Quip. Um, and someone from ESPN made a really interesting comment that you know Jordan's kind of in control of this whole thing in some ways, right? Um, right. And right after that, uh, you know, we we saw Obama come on and talk about how disappointing it was. Um, yeah. And so there's an interesting thing to think about, you know. Jordan, we're clearly we're disappointed that he's not more vocal on some of these things than he is. Um, but he did allow, and perhaps, you know, who knows how involved he was, but to have Obama come in afterwards and criticize him in that way, I think was a useful sentiment to see there. I agree. Yeah. I wanted it to keep going. Uh, yes. Me <laughs> I too, wanted but... like 10 other people to weigh in on it. Yeah. But, um, well, I, I did want to ask you this before we got off the air, and I forgot uh, early on. I sent you that clip of uh, what ESPN is doing with their late night stuff these days. Oh, right, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts, man? So, for, for reference, is... for those that don't know, I sent a clip of six of the sports writers from ESPN, all of them on the younger side, and Katie Nolan is doing a show in the evening now. Um, and they were supposed to get the most famous person they could to join their Zoom call. Um, and it turned out to be much more interesting than I anticipated it being. Likewise. Uh, I So I had seen um, a link to it while I was scrolling through ESPN's page and like completely bypassed it. Um, Partly because every time you click on a video on ESPN's yes. website, you have to watch an ad. But at, when you sent it to me, I still was like, I don't think I'll enjoy this. Uh, and I had a great time watching it. Um, Dwayne Wade was fun. Well, and he uh, stayed on for a while. Which he, was st- a lot of them would stay on for a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. 
um, who had, was playing uh, NBA Jam on his phone yes. when he got the link for the call, and he was using Kendrick Perkins, who was also on the call. Yeah, that was all pretty pretty golden television. That was yeah. great. And, yeah. and it it's interesting to me because on some level, right, it, they're following the the playbook of what Barstool has done in terms of turning their journalists into mm-hmm. uh, into characters that we want to pay attention to, but. Right. Without the distasteful nature, in some ways, of what Barstool, how Barstool has done it, uh, and it's an intriguing mix. Like, mm-hmm. what are we losing in terms of perhaps journalistic integrity? But then again, did ESPN ever really have a claim right. on that? Um, right. And so it's right. just entertainment. And so this is blurring those lines even more. It struck me as something that, and I mean, we saw a bunch of bleed over because we saw Shay and a number of the other ringer type folks on there it struck me very much as something that the ringer would do right yeah i thought it was great it was fun so, yeah um you ready for our trivia yeah i'm ready man all right so last week's question was how many cities bid for the 1984 summer olympics and a misleading piece of information was that in 2024 there are 28 bidding cities uh the 1984 Summer Olympics had one bid. <laughs> uh, there were two for a minute, but one was Tehran, uh, and that was before the Ayatollah took over. And once he took over, he r- rescinded the bid. Um, so one bid in 84, 28, and 2024, 20, <laughs> which is interesting because we often talk about how no one really wants to do the Olympics in many ways. Uh, the question for this week, name as many as you can of the five women that took free uh, penalty kicks in the 1999 World Cup. Oh, my. I feel like I, I, um, this isn't a hint. Maybe it is kind of a hint, but I got two. Okay. Well, I'm, I mean, Brandy Chastain, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Mia Hamm? Mm-hmm. Ooh. I think that's it. Yeah, those are the only two I got to. I know that so, there are a couple others that I wouldn't recognize their names if I heard them, but they're not coming to me right now. I think you'll recognize all three of the other ones. Okay. So next week, tune in to find out who the other three kickers were. Okay. All right. Well, that covers it for today. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks, man. All right, for those of you all listening, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen to this. And we'll be back next week to talk about something else that's interesting but also asinine. So. <laughs> Maybe baseball cards. Maybe baseball cards. Great. All right. All right. To pay attention to the voices that are doing the framing. What we're talking about is the consumerism. Withheld and allotted only. Nobody's calling LeBron Black Jesus. I was a huge Dikembe Mutombo fan.